Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. A Mr. Wolf? No, he isn't. Huh? Oh. Well, uh, maybe for you he is. I'm not here. Oh, yes, he's always here. I've gone out. No, no, he seldom ever goes out. I won't start on anything tonight. Uh, sure, he'd love to start on a case tonight. What's your name? Oh, that's a beautiful name. Uh, address? Archie, if it's another woman, hang up. Honest, I'm not Mr. Wolf, but I'm his agent. I'll be right over, miss. Goodbye. Well, what's your trouble? Where are you going? She said she received some threatening notes and she's afraid to leave her hotel. So long, boss. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that genius who's the bulkiest, the bodiest, most ponderous, and most brilliant detective in the world. Yes, none other than that chair-born mass of unpredictable intellect, Nero Wolf. Created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. Now we prefer to call tonight's story the case of the vanishing shells. It didn't seem to be difficult at first, but... Well, I'm not a stupid individual, but so often, uh, so often, I allow myself to become mesmerized by beautiful women. Uh, heaven bless them, Doris Moray was one such woman. She found us first, one late afternoon about 5 o'clock, then again at 5.30. Very well, Mr. Goodwin, but I'd much prefer to speak with Mr. Wolf. Well, I said I'd be there at 6, Miss Moray. I don't want to talk on the phone any longer. Please hurry. There's someone at the door. I'll see you in the cocktail lounge at your hotel. Six o'clock. That's half an hour. Don't fail. Who is it? Emil Stoner. Oh, Emil. Come in, darling. You got my call, darling? Here, let me take your briefcase. I'll just put it here on the piano, Doris. I'm terribly upset about these threatening notes, darling. I know it's upset you too, but I'm determined to find out who it is. I'm not going to let them bluff me out of my first chance to play a star part in one of your shows. But look, Doris, there's that other part. Other I'm... part? Is that all I mean to you? What can they divulge that will harm us? What? Well, several things, and I can't afford to... I mean, it's... You're frightened, Emil. Doris, I'm going to give the star part to Paula. Paula? You've been divorced for four years. Well, it's, Why? it's because it's because that I feel she you feel would... you she can play the part better. Is that what you're going to say? Well, I can act rings around her. Now, look, Doris. I know that this is a big disappointment to you, but that's just the way it is. Get out! Get out! Go across the hall to Paula. Give her the part. Louse up your show. She and that playwright of hers. Get out, Emil. But Doris, you must. You frightened little. Get out! I believe, Mr. Wolf, that you were making a big mistake not coming along. Indeed. I'm sure what attracts you could not possibly be of interest to me. A gal needs help. And money is money. Girl's money. Phooey! Yeah, well, we could have dinner out for a change. They have one of the best chefs in the town at that hotel. You are most impolite. I'm trying to read this book. Poetry. Archie? Yes, sir? Shut up. Mr. Wolf, we need money. That filthy green cabbage is necessary for our existence. 
And this may be a tough case. You're sufficiently intelligent. Sometimes. Yeah, well, if I sat around like you'd do, I'd weigh 500 pounds, too. Archie, leave the room. Besides, it's only 300. What a way to run a business. Orchids, beer, books. Don't keep the charming girl waiting. Okay, I'm going, I'm going. And remember, there's always the telephone. Uh, thank you, waiter. Good evening, Miss Moray. I'm Archie Goodwin. Well, I, I didn't expect... I mean, please, sit down. I think I should explain the absence of Nero Wolf. You see, there's so much of him that it's uh, not too convenient to transport it about. I do all the outside work. And I'm sure you do it well, Mr... Well, uh, some women call me Mr. Goodwin. Some call me just plain Goodwin, but... Uh, Yes? Well, but the uh, unattached call me Archie. Hello, Archie. Ah, splendid. I'm glad to hear it. Now, we can get right down to the nasty old business that's troubling you, Doris. First, here's the $500 retainer. Well, we thank you. Uh, And now, what's the note about? There are two notes, both printed by hand. Would you hand me my purse, please? Sure. Thank you. Oh. Let's see here. Doris Moray, if you fail to withdraw from the cast of Stoner's next production by the start of rehearsals Monday, both you and Mr. Stoner will have a blasted reputation and perhaps other injuries from which you will be unable to recover. The other one is like it, only more vehement. Someone or a group of someones are intent on keeping you out of Stoner's show, huh? Well, that's too bad. His next one is said to be a sure smash hit and a star-making part for the leading lady. Yes. Emil Stoner wants me to play it. He's been planning it ever since David Banning wrote the play. What does David Banning think about you playing the part? Well, I don't think he's too enthused about it. You see, Mr. Stoner and Paula Kenyon have been divorced for four years, but she has continued to be his top leading woman. Now she's engaged to David Banning, who wrote this play. Yeah, making things a bit difficult. Of course. Rick Hunter is Stone's director. And he's somewhat in favor of you playing the part. Well... Rick Hunter is very fond of my work. And very fond of you as well? Yes, unfortunately. I, I like Rick Hunter tremendously, but Emil Stoner has been of greater interest to me. In fact, we're more or less engaged, Mr. Goodwin. Have you had any words with the, uh, <laughs> the ex-Mrs. Stoner, Paul Kenyon, re- recently? Paul and I were great friends when I first joined the Stoner Productions, but she... I don't know. I don't think she appreciated that Mr. Stoner and Rick Hunter, the director, took such an interest in me. Tell me, did you ever think you were in love with Rick Hunter? Yes, at first. I was thrilled with his artistic imagination. And then as time went on, I realized he was a subject to melancholy. Mr. Stoner was more stable, and I needed someone older to advise me. What's wrong with your reputation and Mr. Stoner's? There's nothing, I fear. But I'm afraid Mr. Stoner's disturbed by these threats. He feels there's something in his past of sufficient import to really harm him. I think it's nonsense. And what we have to do now is uncover this person, or persons, before you end up with ruined careers on Broadway. Where does the ex-Mrs. Stoner live? Well, as a matter of fact, she lives just down the hall from me. Lived here for years. Oh. Well, I think it's advisable, honey, that you stay close to your room until we solve this thing. I'm not afraid for my life, Archie. No? 
Well, I am. I'll see you to your room, Doris. Now, please, Mr. Goodwin, And, I... uh, so you don't trust the boy, huh? Well, I just, I, I... With such beautiful eyes, I... lovely red hair. Well, I... You can have the lead in my new play. I never wrote one, but for you, I'll try anything. <laughs> Very well. Come along. Here's your bag. Well, hello, Doris. Oh, hello, Rick. Mr. Goodwin, this is Rick Hunter. Yeah, hiya, Hunter. Nice shows you've been putting on. I've been admiring your work, Goodwin. Uh-oh. Right, that's nice. Nothing like encouragement for a beginner, Mr. Hunter. You're ready for the big time, from what I saw. Heard from Emil Stoner today, Doris? I talked to him once this morning. Have, have you been sitting in the cocktail lounge all afternoon? <laughs> yeah, that I have. I want to see you play that lead, baby. And I think I just have it all about settled. Dreaming about it won't settle it. Liquor never accomplished anything in itself, Rick. Come on, Mr. Goodwin. He's a very jealous man, Doris. In fact, right now I feel his thoughts piercing me between the shoulder blades. Oh, excuse me, here's a phone booth. Archie. How'd you know it's Archie? I deduced the time was exactly right for you to call. I wish you deduced it was time to earn some money. Is it a worthwhile case? Well, she's a beautiful redhead, and, uh... That, of course, makes it very worthwhile. Yeah, well, I got a $500 retainer. Phooey. A pittance, and probably all you'll ever get. Well, what do you mean by that? She's probably guilty. Now, look here, boss. She's the victim. She received notes threatening her reputation and her health if she plays the star part in Emile Stoner's new production. Also, they threaten Emile Stoner, likewise. The playwright, David Banning, is engaged to Paula Kenyon. Incidentally, she lives at the hotel, too, just down the hall from Doris. I remember. And the playwright wants Paula Kenyon to play the part. Well, Archie, you have only the beginning. It's probably too late to prevent whatever's going to happen. Like what, for instance? Have you found a body yet? Call me after you've found the body. What body? There's no body. There will be, Archie. There's always a body where you're concerned, either a beautiful body or a dead one. Goodbye. Thanks for seeing me to my room, Archie. Oh, I'm not stopping here, Doris. I'm taking a look inside. But I'm not... Oh, I insist. Part of my job, you know. If I fail to take every precaution, Mr. Wolf would never... Whoa. Oh my, look in that chair. Emil! Emil? Emil Stoner. Oh, no. Oh, oh well, uh, the three red dots on his shirt front. Oh, oh, Doris, Doris, hold on now. Uh, oh, it, I, I, I'm all right. All right, then, we'll sit down here. That, that's it. Thank you. All right, well, let's see. The body's still warm. What's this crumpled in his left hand? Ah, a horoscope. Between the fingers of his right hand, an unlit cigarette monogrammed P.K. Paula Kenyon. Yeah, this horoscope is from March. Something's, something picked up from your desk here? I don't believe in astrology. Huh. And where do you get this cigarette with Paula Kenyon's monogram? Poor Emil. Poor Emil. I didn't believe anyone would really harm us. Why was I so stubborn? When did you see him last? Shouldn't we do something? Call the police? No, no, not yet. Uh, when did you see him? I, uh, I saw him this 
this morning. I'm so shocked, I, I can hardly think clearly. Adoris? Yes? There's a briefcase on top of the piano over there with a newspaper on top of it. What? Oh, uh, oh yes, there is. It's Emile's. He must have left it here this morning. And that's strange. Emile Stoner was bald, but, well... But what? It's just, I'm sure he's a man who always wore a hat, but I see no hat. He must have come up the elevators when I went down to meet you. Who would know he'd come up here? The director, Rick Hunter, said he's been in the bar all afternoon. What was that thing he said? He thought he had everything just about settled? Oh, no. Rick couldn't. Oh, Mr. Goodwin, I couldn't believe that he would... I could believe anything about anybody. I learned that the hard way. In my book, everyone's guilty until proved otherwise. Even you, baby. What? Even you. Yeah. The Herald Tribune newspaper. Are you sure you haven't seen him since this morning, Doris? What are you doing? Absolutely nothing. Someone came in and shot him. Call the police. I insist. Maybe... What? Maybe I did leave my door unlocked. Why would I do that? He couldn't have opened the door otherwise, could he? No. Give me the check room, please. Yes. Hello. Uh, do you know Mr. Emile Stoner, the producer? You do? Uh, good. Well, tell me, did he check his hat with you this afternoon or this evening? He didn't, huh? All right, thanks. You must have carried it up here to this floor. Doris, do you have a gun? I own a gun, yes. A small twenty-five automatic. But it's not here. Where is it? I had the handle repaired. It's been in my dressing room for a week or two. I hate to do this, Doris, but I'm going to move the body away from the back of the chair. Oh, no, please. Ah. Yeah, there. Yeah, three rooms. One bullet went through the upper part of his chest and out the back. I'd say right through the heart. By the angle of the wound, he was shot while sitting down. Please, Mr. Goodwin, must we stay here? I, I want to very... give this room a thorough going over. We'll go down to the lobby. I want to use that phone again. Hmm. And Doris, I hope... Uh, I know what you're going to say. You hope that gun of mine... Is still in your dressing room at the theater. speaking. Oh, Mr. Wolf, may I have your autograph? I'm taking a correspondence course on how to be a detective, and I think you're a wizard. Oh, so kind of you to say so. I would be just thrilled to have your autograph on the bottom of a paycheck. Why are you calling from a phone booth? What? Who said I was? It's obvious. There's no room tone reverberation. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't have to ask. You know everything before it happens. Well, you found the body, then. It happened just before you got there? Oh, now, look, I took the girl up to her room to be sure it was safe for her to go in, and then... <laughs> okay, okay, well... <laughs> and there, sitting in a big leather chair, was Emile Stoner, shot three times with a small-caliber gun, dead about an hour. One shot went through the body from the upper part of the chest through the middle of the back, therefore he was shot while sitting down. The killer was standing, right? I'm listening. All right, well, his uh, left hand was clinching a horoscope folder, and between the index and second finger of his right hand was an unlit cigarette with a monogram on it. P.K. Emile Stoner is bald, but there's no hat in the room. However, on the piano was his briefcase, and on top of it was a four o'clock edition 
of the Herald Tribune. Better look in the briefcase, Archie. No weapon? No, no weapon. Doris Moray says she owns a 25 caliber automatic and it's in her dressing room at the theater. Also, she claims she hadn't seen Stoner since this morning. You found no empty shells about the floor? None. What did you do with the bullet? What bullet? The one which passed through his chest and into the back of the leather chair. Are you there? Ah, boss, I'm a very stupid fella. Stop bragging. The bullet. Boss, there ain't no hole in the back of the chair. I just realized it. Maybe he was standing up? No. Then the killer would have had to been on stilts. Archie, let us pretend, only pretend, that you're very observant. Now proceed to Paula Kenyon's apartment just down the hall and see what she knows without divulging the fact that Stoner is dead. And look sharp. Yeah, yeah, my gears must be slipping. Archie, do you know what great event will be celebrated tomorrow? Yeah, my birthday. What'd you get me? Cuthbert's Correspondence Detective Course in Four Easy Lessons. Goodbye. This is Paul's apartment. Yeah, no answer. Let's see if it's open. Ah, no one inside. Come on in. Now, if anyone walks in on us, uh, just say we found the door open and came in to wait. That's the truth, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Well, here on the desk we have a stack of horoscopes. And a box of Paula's monogrammed cigarettes. Mr. Goodwin! Huh? This is Emile's gray fedora hat. So, he was in the apartment this afternoon. Hmm. Now, what are you staring at? Oh. A small, pearl-handled automatic. Yes. 25 caliber. Yeah, it's been fired very recently. We won't touch it now. Does it look like yours? Archie, it is mine. Yeah, your initials? I phoned old Mr. Jenkins, the stage doorman at the theater, to look in my dressing room. My gun isn't there. Did you leave the gun out in plain view or in the dressing room? Yes, for several days anyway. Then I put it behind the mirror. Uh, I suppose many people may have seen it. I'm sure they have. I hope that your fingerprints are not the only ones on that gun. If they used my gun to shoot him in my apartment, why would they bring the gun back here and leave it in plain sight? Uh, Maybe they didn't do it just that way. No. Well, his hat's here, the gun is here, and yet he's dead in your apartment. How can you answer that? Well, maybe he was sitting here waiting for Paula and somebody called him out over to your place and shot him? That's no good. Doesn't make sense. Now, if he was sitting in this chair here and somebody entered that door, hey. What is it? Look in that chair back. A little round hole. Start looking for some empty shells around here. Find something? No, I want to make a call. If he was shot with this automatic, these shells were ejected and, uh, well, they certainly vanished. speaking. It's Archie. I'm at Paula Kenyon's. She's not here, but I found Stoner's hat, a stack of horoscopes on the desk, a box of her monogram cigarettes, and a 25 automatic, which belongs to Miss Moray, recently fired, but not an empty shell in sight. No blood, but a small hole in the back of the chair near the desk. Doris Moray is with me. Ever call Inspector Kramer and tell him about the body and have ballistics check the bullets with the gun. And the bullet in the chair back? Did you find anything in Emil Stoner's briefcase? 
Well, yes, I found Never this... Never mind. Bring the girl here at once. Okay, boss. Say, don't you think I ought to wait here for Paula Kenyon? Uh-oh, here she is. <laughs> Bye, boss. Bring her along, too, if you can. Goodbye. Hello, Paula. Well, Doris, what are you doing here? I wasn't aware that I left the door unlocked. It seems to be contagious this evening. I left mine unlocked, too. Hello, David. Miss Kenyon. Mr. Goodwin. Okay. Hello, everyone. Hello. Nice to meet you. Archie, this is David Banning, the playwright. How are you, Mr. Banning? How do you do? I've heard all about your new play, and I wanted to meet you. Doris thought you might be over here, and well, the door was ajar, so we just, uh... Just walked in. I hope you don't mind, Paula. Certainly not. I'm used to people just walking in. Well, we were here a while ago, then went down to the cocktail lounge for a little while. When does your play open? Or have you cast it yet? Uh, Mr. Stoner handles that part of it. Are you a prospective investor, Mr. Goodwin? No. <laughs> I've had a number of flings in the business. As a matter of fact, I expect to see Mr. Stoner tonight. You do? Tonight? Here? Uh, I don't understand. What's this fencing all about? Doris, you're not just visiting me. We've hardly spoken for... Oh. Is that your gun, Miss Kenyon? It's yours, Doris. Yes, that's right, Paula. It was in my dressing room. When did you see Mr. Stoner last? Um, I haven't seen him today. I had lunch with him. Why? What hat did he wear at lunchtime, Mr. Banning? Why, the gray fedora. How did it get here? That's Emile's. What is this? What are you two doing here? Where is Emile? Come on. Cut up the melodramatics. Mr. Stoner is dead. He's... he's dead. Paula! And without any further explanation, I shall have to ask you all to accompany me downtown. Police? Eh, if you please. They're still in the front room, boss. I'll bring them into your office when you're ready. Yes, Archie. I'm certain they're all anxious to talk. They've been sitting there for an hour now. Maybe we should make some sort of explanation to them? Why? This sort of technique should work very well in this particular instance. Yeah, but I don't know about that director, Rick Hunter. He may be difficult. Does anyone know that you found the completed and signed contract in that briefcase? No one. Good. Now we have the threat notes, the contract, the afternoon paper, the briefcase, the fedora hat, the gun, no ejected shells, the horoscope, the cigarette, and the two chairs, one with a small hole in it. Come in. Ah, Inspector Kramer at last. What have you? Well... We've been over every inch of that place didn't find a single empty shell. There were two bullets in the body, one of which passed through him into the chair back in Paula Kenyon's place. They were all three fired from Doris Moray's little automatic. Any fingerprints on the gun? None but Doris Moray's. Not unexpected, to say the least. Well, the bullet that was lodged in the chair in Paula's place went through his heart. Now he was apparently shot in her room, but would... But how it... did he get into Doris Moray's place? I'll be able to explain that when we locate those three empty shells, Inspector. Bring in our guests, Archie. Uh, come in, please. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Nero Wolf, Miss Paula Kenyon. Hello. Uh, Miss Doris Moray. Hello. Rick Hunter, the director. How do you do? David Banning, the playwright. How do you do? Won't you be seated, please? May I present Inspector Kramer of Homicide? Yeah, how do you do? Hello. Yeah, nice yes. to meet you. 
Mr. Wolf has asked you here to give him such details as you may recall that might be of assistance to him in the solution of the murder of Mr. Emil Stoner. Mr. Hunter, as the director, whom did you favor as the star of your next production? Why, Miss Murray. You've been deeply interested in Miss Murray. Hasn't done me much good. But you do love her? I do. And you're deeply interested in the progress of her career? I am, most assuredly. Did you know that Mr. Stoner had made out and signed a contract for a certain woman to play the lead in the new show? No. You knew that Doris Murray had a gun in her dressing room? Yes. You were in the hotel cocktail lounge all afternoon until you met Miss Murray and Mr. Goodwin? Yes. And you could have seen Emile Stoner enter the lobby and go to the elevator? I could. Can you prove that you never left the cocktail lounge until you met Doris and Archie? Maybe not. Did you see Mr. Stoner going to the elevator? I did. Mr. Banning, when you wrote the new play, were you in favor of Miss Murray playing the part? Why no? I felt Paula Kenya was better suited for it. You and Miss Kenyon are engaged to be married? Yes. If anything happened to Mr. Stoner, you as next in line could assign the role as you saw fit. That's correct. Did you know that Mr. Stoner had made a final decision on the part? I did not. He didn't tell you anything about it at lunch today? No. I made a strong plea for Paula. Did you know about the gun in Miss Murray's dressing room? Everyone did, apparently. Very well. Miss Kenyon, did Emile Stoner visit your apartment often? Not often. We're not on too friendly of terms. Did you phone him to visit you this afternoon? No. Who said I did? No one. (laughs) I merely asked. Were you by any chance still in love with Emile Stoner? Now see here, I don't appreciate this kind of talk. Just relax now, Mr. Banning. I was not in love with Mr. Stoner. That was over. You and Doris Murray were at one time very friendly. Yes, until I found out how two-faced she was. Emile was a fool to fall for her, but you couldn't tell him anything. All she's interested in is her career. Are you not interested in your career, Miss Kenyon? Well, yes. In a way. You wanted the star part. You phoned Stoner this morning. Yes, but he was going to give it to her. Did you know about Doris Gunn? No, I... She recognized it immediately, boss. Yes, I knew. What if I did? You wrote these threatening notes to Miss Murray. I did not. I did not. You didn't know the contract had already been signed? No. Then you still had a motive to kill him. I wrote those notes. She had nothing to do with it. You can check them against my typewriter. We know, Mr. Banning. We've already done that. I know how it looks, but Paula didn't do it. I knew he was coming to her place. I I called him. I knew Paula was out. I did it. If so, what did you do with the ejected shells? I I threw them away. How many? Three. Oh, no, David, please don't. I don't believe you, Mr. Banning. Miss Murray, did you know that the contract had been made out and signed? No. You're lying, Miss Murray. You said you didn't see Stoner this afternoon. I didn't. You called him and asked him to visit you. You did get the threat notes and they frightened you, but you didn't know they would frighten Stoner. I did not phone him, nor did I see him. Yes, you did. His briefcase was on the piano and he was there in the late afternoon because he brought with him a four o'clock edition of the Herald Tribune. What if he was there? I didn't kill him. He told you then about his decision. He left in a hurry. He forgot his briefcase and went to Paula's apartment to wait for her. That's not true. That's not true! Filled with rage, you got your gun, which you said had disappeared from your dressing room, then calmly put it into your bag, walked across the hall, and shot him as he sat reading a horoscope. No. No. Archie, her handbag. Thank you. 
Notice, I run my finger through a hole in the corner. She fired through the bag and see three empty shells. No, no. And here's the contract made out to Paula Kenyon. Too bad, Miss Murray. Well, that's a good day's work, boss. Some beer, Archie. All right. Uh, say, tell me, how did Stoner, if he was shot in Paula's room, get back into Doris's room? She couldn't carry him. Oh, now, Archie, that's not too difficult. He walked. Shot through the heart. Impossible! That's a fallacy, Archie. Official medical records show the people have walked a block or more in such circumstances. Oh, well, no wonder Doris was so shocked when she saw him back in her room. The shooting took place after she called us, and it seemed unbelievable that anyone would leave the gun behind but not the ejected shells. Ergo, the gun must have been concealed when fired. Yeah. Paul would have no reason to do that because she was in her own apartment. And these men are not the type who could have fired through their coats. Well, boss, it's midnight, it's another day, and I'm a year older. Yes, and here you are. Cuthbert's detective correspondence course in four easy lessons. (laughs) Happy birthday, Archie. This has been Nero Wolf, The Case of the Vanishing Shells, from the new adventures of Nero Wolf, presented here by the Icebox Radio Theater. Your players this evening were Carice Boyer as Doris Murray, Jeffrey Adams as Emile Stoner and Inspector Kramer, Ayla McIntosh was Paula Kenyon, Caleb Silvers played David Banning, Ian Hall was Rick Hunter, and starring Jim Yant as Archie, and Justin Kapler as the one, the only Nero Wolf. Our sound effects artist was E.V. Conan. The Case of the Vanishing Shells was originally part of the NBC program The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, produced by J. Donald Wilson based on characters created by Rex Stout. This episode originally aired on February 2nd, 1951. Tonight's production was produced and directed by Jeffrey Adams for the Icebox Radio Theater, which is solely responsible for its content. Icebox Radio Theater makes no claim of ownership for this playbook. 